0: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Leiter. What the hell happened with Jarvis Landry? Plus, what's it like to be inside that media scrum? And we'll take a look back at Brown's mini camp for the rookies. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. We're so glad to have you on board. If you want to be a part of the show, we'll just hit us up on Twitter, at c l e. At Game Day CLE. My name is Andy Baskin. His name is Daryl Ryder. Hello, Daryl. A lot of feedback over the last couple shows. It's been fun.
2: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Going well. Appreciate everyone uh, downloading the podcast, rating it, uh, tweeting at us. So, uh, appreciate it. Keep them coming.
1: Sounds good. All right, let's hop right into it. Jarvis Landry, uh, nowhere near the $20 million deal he wanted. He ends up back with the Saints. Browns fans asking, what the hell happened?
2: Well, he's uh, he's an Orleans Saint now. Um, about six million dollars, one-year deal. Um, it didn't sound like uh, when he spoke on Sunday that he was in a hurry to, to sign. Remember, he's coming off that, that knee injury that he had, but yeah, it it came down to money, and, and it also came down to I think uh, you know direction as far as what the Browns wanted to do at the receiver position. Uh, I, I just. I, I never got the impression he was coming back um and actions spoke louder than words they drafted two receivers and once that happened uh even though the conversation kept going that Jarvis could come back i just did just didn't seem feasible you know so um i i just it, it as it usually does comes down to money uh the browns and landry could never really get on the the same page and again once he was released i think that that uh, really closed the door because they couldn't come together on a restructure. And, uh, uh, you know, once it got to the point where it was, uh, you know, time to release him, I think that that basically closed the door, even though, again, like I said, the conversation just went on for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, people holding out hope that Jarvis was coming back. I just, uh, it just wasn't reality. It,
1: the reason though, I think people thought he was coming back was because of Deshaun Watson. Because I think when they released him in the beginning, th- th- it was over. I-, I think most of us agree with that. I know you just, you just said it, that he would be gone. And uh, that's what I said. I think the hard part about Jarvis Landry not being a part of the team is when he first got here, he felt like he was a locker room changer. He was a guy that was changing the environment. You know, He was a, a good guy that wanted to win and didn't come with a lot of negative baggage and didn't seem like he was here just to take a paycheck and I think that impressed fans as well as his teammates. Um, how much will he be missed in the locker room?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's something to be said for him to be missed in the locker room, But um, and he certainly deserves credit for the influence that he had as a leader behind the scenes, especially uh, in those early days. Obviously, the it's contagious speech from Hard Knocks in 2018. Uh, he'll always be remembered for that um you're right uh the Browns had been paycheck city in the NFL for years and years and years where you had veterans that would come here simply to collect a paycheck winning was not important to them uh we had seen that uh by the results on the field but um you know I I think that when when you look at where the Browns are now how Andrew Berry has built this team yeah, I think they're going to be okay. Um, it you, you can't keep everybody. Um, it would have been nice for them to keep Jarvis Landry uh, and, and bring him back. Uh, they uh, invested twenty million dollars a year though in Amari Cooper, and I think that that's uh, you know I think that's something that people have to understand is that they're sp- spending sim- comparable money at the position than what they were spending the previous two years. But, um, yeah, I, I just – it comes down to – it just – it comes down to money. And it, and it comes down to giving these young kids those snaps. And uh, uh, that, it's just why there wasn't enough room for Jarvis on the roster, unfortunately.
1: So, Daryl, I think one of the hard parts is when we say it comes – and it makes sense. Look, he wasn't coming back, and that's the bottom line. And if he wanted $20 million, if if there was $20 million carved out for Jarvis – and now, all of a sudden, another wide receiver has it. They pick up at free agency, right? And Amari Cooper, that twenty million's gone. It's hard to say though that at six million, the Browns couldn't have brought him back. They f- financially, that doesn't seem like that's too crazy, especially when you look at how much money, <laughs> excuse me, they have under the cap. So I, I, I just, for me, Daryl, as I watch the story unfold, especially at the end of the season, and again, I'm not in the I'm not in the locker room every day. You are. But I do know that I didn't hear a peep from him after Odell was gone. Right. And to me, that, I mean, here's a guy that was out front, center of, uh, of almost everything when it came to, you know, he was the mayor. He's the guy you would go to to get a sound would be, And then all of a sudden, nothing after Odell. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say he wasn't happy because I don't know. I wasn't there. But I got to tell you, that to me is a telling sign. When a guy stops talking, and I, I just, I don't think he wanted to be here. Uh, Towards the end, and that's just me saying that because you normally don't have players shutting down like that, especially after they've been that vocal. Maybe didn't. I mean, maybe he would want to be here, especially. Uh, Let me let me backtrack a little bit on that. I I think when Deshaun Watson came in, and if the money was there, he would have wanted to be here. But he didn't. He seemed a little disgruntled to me. That's how I'm reading into it at the end of the season because he didn't say a word, and that's just so. 180 from what he had been his entire career with the Browns
2: yeah and I mean it was it was noticeable I mean one of the last times he talked was uh at one of his uh charity uh, events in, in which he said uh you know he was asked about uh Odell the Odell situation and and also the the struggles of the offense and he's like hey man I w- I'm not getting the ball either so I don't know what to tell you <laughs> um yeah but yeah it, it was I mean Jarvis every week was available up until Odell left and then he, we we didn't hear from him uh the rest of the season. I think he did one post game press conference uh the rest of the way and that was it. And um you know players are uh, are supposed to be available. He kind of got away with it cuz it, we were still in the COVID protocols and and things like that so no open locker rooms or anything like that but um I don't think he wanted to say anything that was going to get him in trouble. Number one, and then number two, again we forget these guys are human beings. And right. him and him and Odell, very, very good friends, very tight, very close. And I, I think that that whole situation hurt him. And and you know the way, that, not not so much how the Browns handled it, but I, I think that just everything that went on behind the scenes. And and obviously, he had a front row seat for what really uh, went down and why the situation with Beckham and Baker Mayfield deteriorated as quickly uh, as it did. And I, I think that, quite frankly, Jarvis was hurt by the whole situation. He was hurt. Uh, the fact that uh, his friend uh, had to be released, uh, He it was... Not an ending that they uh, thought or imagined going into it. After the Browns traded for him, um, so I, I think that that's a big part of it. Andy is is you look at the human element, the human side of things, and I think he was hurt, and and it's it's understandable. And I think another really telling sign is how hard he played in that season finale with Case Keenum at quarterback. Uh, you know, that's something that I'm always going to remember is, I mean, he, he played as if it was his last game as a Cleveland Brown, not to say that he knew it was going to be his last game as a Brown, but I I mean, he really, really went all out uh, in that season finale and, and played a fantastic game. So, um, you know, there were a lot of things I, I think that went on behind the scenes, Uh, you know, we've heard some of those stories come out, but yeah, I mean, Jarvis had a front row seat for all that. And, uh, it's, it's disappointing, uh, that he isn't back, but it's, it's not surprising in the least. And quite frankly, I'm glad he's in new Orleans state at this point.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, the, you know, for him to be able to go back there, it's a one-year deal. I was kind of surprised, you know, reports are that it's 6 million. Um, but I'm not surprised. I think that's the wheelhouse for what he should get paid. For a year, cause, excuse me, because he needs to prove it, right? He needs to have another prove it year.
2: Well, I don't know that he needs to prove it. I He's he's had himself a very successful <laughs> career, but just because he's coming off the injury, I, I just, I don't think he needed to prove it, but I think, too, what he set his value at and what the Browns set his value at, clearly we're not aligned, <laughs> clearly and, um, you know, he, he gets $6 bucks to go home to, to New Orleans, and, uh, you know, he'll play with the Saints uh, and, and see if he can, uh, you know, kind of get things on track down there again. But, yeah, I it, it's hard for me to talk about prove it uh, for a guy who's been to the Pro Bowl multiple times.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not questioning his, his ability for what he's done in the past. I'm just saying if he wants a bigger deal or he wants a multi-year contract, he's going to have to have a year that's worthy of getting another that's the prove it part of it to get the it's it's the financial part of it to try to get back to if he thought he was worth still worth 20 million he took 14 million
2: less well I don't think he's ever going to get 20 million I I just I just I, as much as I love Jarvis Landry I just I don't think that that's reality um uh, you know Odell Beckham Jr. is not getting 20 million anymore um so no. yeah I, I just I think there's a little uh uh, a little disparity there in what the market, uh, you know, felt he was worth and what he was hoping to get, and uh, obviously, um, you know, the evidence is he ended up taking an eight million dollar pay cut.
1: Gotcha. All right, so uh, Darrell, let's do this because and Jarvis is gone. I mean, uh, we we've, we've known it for a while, but now it's official as he joins the Saints. Um, if you want to get in on the conversation on any of our podcasts, go to at game day cle. Game Day Cle. We always appreciate you listening to the podcast. It's always Game Day in Cleveland. We're glad you're here. Um, if you like what you're listening to, remember to subscribe to it's always Game Day in Cleveland. The feed and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. When we come back, you're going to want to listen to this a little, a little bit more behind the scenes stuff. What is the media scrum? And by the way, sometimes you see the players or coaches get mad at the media. Well, the media gets mad at the media as well.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Darrell Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Glad to have you on listening with us wherever you're going. If you're driving somewhere, you just want to hear a little bit more scoop on what's going on with the Browns. We're glad to give it to you. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you like it. And give us a couple stars if you're along the way. I'm not ashamed. We can beg for stars, can't we? Is that okay?
2: Yes, completely acceptable in the podcasting community.
1: We're groveling for stars. Not a problem.
2: (laughs) All right, We'll grovel for food.
1: So one of the things when we set out to do the podcast was to try to tell you a little bit more about, you know, what you listen to, what you hear, what you see when it comes to the team. And it's not always about the the team itself. Um, You know, there are always ancillary things that are going on. And, you know, I always find it funny how the media approaches the media. I mean, right? I mean, the media gets territorial, Daryl. right? I'm trying to think my first year really covering the Browns here is when I came back. So probably like 2000, 2001 was the first year that I really was there, but I was still covering Ohio State. And we had a a great reporter named Kerry Sayers that I was working with at uh, Fox Sports Ohio. At the time, and we had this phenomenal show called the Regional Sports Report, um, and Carrie covered the Browns, and I covered, uh, I covered the Buckeyes. But every once in a while, she needed a, a, a day off or something, so I would come up and cover the Browns, and she would every once in a while she would go down and cover the Buckeyes. It was great. I mean, it was just we loved doing it. But Daryl, sometimes, and this, I'm leading up to the next story here, but sometimes reporters get a little territorial in that room, don't they?
2: Well, I, I mean, it, it can, uh, you know, behind the scenes. You know, we're all competing just to get a question or two in, uh, all at the same time, right? I mean, I sometimes feel bad for the, you know, Browns players and coaches because you have like 30 people huddled around you and they're all shouting at you, (laughs) asking you questions. Um, And we're kind of like back to normal now, which is good. Knock on wood. Hopefully that, you know, it it stays that way. We're able to. Be in person and gather around guys and be face to face and not have to be 25 feet away and or talk through a a computer screen and, you know, please turn on your microphone, you're on mute, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) We're not having to do that any anymore. Um, I, you know, I, I never have, uh, you know, had that many issues. The only time I really have an issue is if when a, when somebody is responding to my question and somebody jumps in to cut them off to ask their question. Then I get a little angry because it's like, first of all, I'm having to scream around 30 people to get in a question and then when i finally get in a question and get an answer coming my way someone else has to jump in and cut off the answer so that they can get their question in um it's it's a little different than you know maybe covering another team in town where you sit there and there's like a Uh, I I count to 60 Mississippi before the next question gets asked. And you're you're sitting there like, can I ask a question? I don't want to step on anybody's toes here because I'm not here every day. And they are. And it's, you know, they're beat. You know, there is mutual respect amongst all of us. I I would say like the Browns beat, uh, you know, I don't think we have any rivalries or people that like hate each other. I get along with everybody in the room, uh, you know. Uh, I'll hold microphones for other people, whether it's TV stations or, you know, other outlets that, or even, know, even if it's close. not our own network, right? Yeah. You know, you know, if you, cause again, we're, we're like all on top of each other huddled around now. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't have, uh, you know, any type of rivalry, uh, with anybody, um, uh, but, uh, it, it does get, uh, you know, competitive when it comes to a- trying to get in questions because we get anywhere from 8 to 15 minutes depending on the player or if it's a coach or, you know, Andrew Barry uh, or, you know, whomever uh, that, that we're talking to. We have a very limited time and there are cases where that's the only time we get to talk to that person for the entire week. Um, that is one thing that has really changed. You know, I used to talk to Joe Thomas every day uh, you know when he played you know could talk to him on Monday and then Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and God bless Joe because I mean I would totally get it if I'm Joe I'd be like I I really don't have anything else to say people Um, but he always made himself available and you find that out with uh, you know a lot of guys who will uh, make themselves available quarterback not one of them you get the quarterback one day a week that's usually Wednesday and that is it uh, there have been years right. where the Browns have had a rookie quarterback and you get them twice uh, outside of game days. Um, uh, the quarterback mm-hmm. always talks after a game, unless you're Baker Mayfield after the Lions win. Then that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, but uh, quarterback always talks after the game, uh, unless, uh, again, you're, you're Baker or injured. That that And that's usually, you know, red flags will go up, like if the quarterback doesn't talk. That's why everyone made such a big deal of that particular circumstance, because it's so highly unusual. It like never happens in the world of the NFL. But uh, we've had a couple instances where the Browns have had a rookie quarterback. And so the team, you know, would make him available on Monday occasionally, as well as uh, the Wednesday thing. But, yeah, huh. um, I, th- that's just kind of how the, the you know th- things play out. And then we were talking about Jarvis earlier, Andy, and his uh, yeah. availability and how he just did not make himself available for the rest of the season, partially, I think, because he just didn't want to say anything uh, that was going to upset the apple cart, if you will, and, and, and not allow his emotions to speak for him. Because, again, we, we forget sometimes, and I'm guilty of it as well, That these these are human beings. They are people. They have families, friends, feelings, and and things like that. And uh, you know, like us, they have good days. They have bad days. Um, It just it's all part of it. But yeah, I don't I don't have any rivalries with anyone in, in, in the media room get along with everybody. And like I said, we, you know, we also try and kind of help each other out at times when it comes to getting what we need, uh, not only from a technical standpoint, which is like in my case, getting the audio that I need back to, you know, so that I can send that, you know, into the, the newsroom and they can, you know, play that back for, uh, you know, uh, people to listen to. But, um, you know, it, you know we, we, we treat each other with a, a tremendous amount of respect.
1: I can't tell you how many times I've seen, like, the funny part of it, I'm not throwing these guys under the bus or not, but videographers from TV stations really get territorial during postgame.
2: They um, are aggressive, I will say that. In a, <laughs> yeah,
1: in a thing called a scrum, because those guys don't want to go back to the station with the back of a reporter's head and their camera. And, you know, for the most part, most of the reporters know to kneel down or just, you know, stay a little lower than you possibly would just so that those guys can get a shot. <clears throat> and they're all in the back, and, and so – because no one wants to go back without having you know the video they want when it comes to to television radio is a little bit easier because you know we just we need the audio um but I I'm going to tell you a story I am not going to use any names I I am actually really good friends with this person right now and early 2001 uh it was one of those days when I was working for Fox Ohio <clears throat> and I was up to cover the team and uh the story I was doing was on a player uh, defense. I'm just gonna. I'll say it like this: a player on defense who had played for the team the Browns were about to play that week had spent a few years there, and uh, was now with was now with the Browns. So it, back in the day, you could go in the locker room. They had um, they had their session. I'm just trying to think. of what time this is at? This is probably like a. Uh, I can't. Man, I can't remember what time it was. I think it was sometime in the afternoon. We had, 15, we had 15 minutes to do an interview, okay? So I had one person. I blew off everybody else that day, and I wanted that one person. I was going to do a story on the one person. I st- stood there. There was one reporter ahead of me, and I stood there as a television reporter. You know, if someone's there, especially a beat reporter for a newspaper, you would sit and you would wait, right? Daryl, this happens all the time. Yes. You wait. It's a courtesy. If you know someone's doing a, a one-on-one feature or they're doing something like that, that's fine.
2: That's code. You don't I, walk up and interrupt.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's not cool. Okay, unless you are in the situation I am in. I literally needed three answers to do the story, and I was in the locker room at let's just say two o'clock, and the locker room was going to close at two thirty. I stood and waited. First, there were like three or four reporters waiting for, uh, talking to this player, so I stood back and I waited, and I waited. And I waited. And, you know, they're about to shut down the locker room at 2.30. And now it's 2.25. And from 2.05 to 2.25, one reporter had been standing there the whole time asking questions of a player, but really was kind of yakking it up with him a little bit. And I get it. He was trying to get a feel for what was going on. And, I, you know, you don't get a lot of one-on-one time. So all of a sudden, he's he's now in this conversation with this person for 20-plus minutes. And all I need is three questions, and they're gonna close the locker room on me. Like you hear him walking around, going, "Locker room closes in three minutes." This one reporter had spent twenty plus minutes with a guy. So finally, I didn't. I had, there was nothing else I could do. I wanted to get my story done, so I dropped my mic in on his conversation with him at the end with three minutes. Is this? Do you feel steam right now as a as a daily yeah. guy? Yep. Are you mad? Are you are. Are you mad at me for doing that?
2: Oh no, no 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 no. No, oh, no, okay. no, no, no. Okay. I, I, I'm, I, I, ba- I'm team Baskin on this one.
1: I, okay. So, I drop my mic in on the player. I get the craziest look from the reporter, and he finishes his question, and I'm like, I'm waiting for him to finish, and I'm hoping that he realizes we only have three more minutes, and that I, I've got it, and he's been with him for 20-plus minutes. He looks at me and turns to the player, and he says, oh, Well, I guess I'm done now. Obviously, this microphone holder has some questions for you. And, Daryl, if you want to explain to everybody else, microphone holder is probably the lowest thing you can call. It's not – It's it's not complimentary. No. It's when it – like a TV uh, – I don't know that I've ever seen a radio station do it. It, It's when a TV station sends an intern out to hold the microphone to get sound so that – Uh, radio and newspaper, and everybody else can ask questions for them so they can use their work, essentially. Right. And I looked at him, and I I, I looked at the reporter, who I really didn't know at the time. I looked at him, and I said, bro, you've spent 20-plus minutes with him. I have three questions. I go, I gave you all kinds of respect. I go, if you have an earth-shattering question you need to ask him, go ahead, I'll drop my mic out. He looked at me, and he ran away. And I was just like, and the player started laughing.
2: He was <laughs> dying laughing. I actually and, know. The, I think I know who this reporter could be. And okay. this story is the least surprising thing oh. ever. <laughs> so he
1: looks at me and he's like, this microphone holder has some questions for you. <laughs> And I had steam coming out of my ear. So, luckily, I asked my three questions. I'm able to turn my story that night. okay? Right. But the, the the next part of it is unbelievable because I, like, I'm telling you, this is like something that happens at school. So, now I'm steaming. And, you know, I knew Dan Coglin for a long time. Again, I can understand why he thought I was something that I wasn't because he had he probably hadn't seen me that often. I had only been at Brown's camp in that capacity maybe a handful of times because normally I was covering Ohio State. So, I, you know, I, I walk up to Dan Coughlin, you know, just friend of the family for, for forever, was friends with my step-grandfather when he first got into the business, and I walk up to Danny, and I say, Danny, I'm going to kill that guy.
2: <laughs> I go, who does he think he
1: is? What is wrong with that guy? And so then I waited, and I waited, and so now we go into – I'm trying to remember who that coach was at the time even. So he – Well, if it's uh, 2001, uh, it's Butch Davis. Yeah, it uh, was – yeah, it had well, to have been Butch. Well, yeah, was,
2: Chris Palmer was only here for two years, so.
1: Right. I don't know. For some reason, maybe uh, – uh, that doesn't correlate with uh, uh, with Ohio Sports Report. I'm just trying to – it was either Butch or it was, it was Chris. doesn't really matter. So they had their press conference, and I waited for that guy after the press conference. And I walked up to him, and I go, hey, let me introduce myself. My name is Andy Baskin. I work for Fox Ohio. I'm not sure who you are. I go – but what you did in there was the most classless thing I've ever seen anyone do in front of a player. I go, not only did you spend 20 minutes doing a one-on-one, I go, but I needed three questions. And then you had the to call me a microphone holder when all I was doing is doing my job. And I gave you a lot of room. And he looked back at me and he was just, I think he was, he was terrified because someone had called him out on it. Right? I go, do you got a problem? And he goes, ah, oh, uh, well, people in your industry just send interns over. I, I didn't realize you were a real reporter. And I'm like, does it really matter? I go, that was super rude. And he was like, I, I, I'll know you next time. And he walked away. I, I he was shook up. <laughs> and it was just, it was just one of those moments, and you're just like, I can't believe this just happened. Because I got to tell you, if he would have barked back at me, it would have been like. It would have been go time. I would have dropped the gloves right there and never, <laughs> Never did another story. I, and I, I would have, have been a legend.
2: Look, it has happened where uh, we have seen things get a little testy, shall we say, in media scrums. Yeah. Uh, and I would say about 90%. Now, again, I've got great relationships with a lot of the, the cameramen. And they're usually regulars. Um, every oh, once in a while. I worked
1: with a couple guys that were ready to – I worked with a couple guys that were ready to fight every press, every post game. Yeah, every post game, they were <laughs> ready mean, to throw.
2: It, it it would get testy at times, and and, and again, uh, I always try and treat everyone with respect. Someone needs a microphone held because uh, they can't get as close as me, or whatever. Or I'll I'll turn sideways so I'm not in their shot and stuff like that. I always try to be cognizant in those scrums. We're we're all there to do a job. Uh, we're all there to do the same thing. That's just the way. Uh, I always approached uh you know the job uh but no there there have been times where yeah I, the, it, it's come close to blows and that's not an exaggeration that is it 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 has happened uh post game it's happened after practices um yeah it, it can get a little heated at times because you know like you were explaining you know some some guys are just they're just there to get one quick thing and they want to get out of there they just want to get their stuff done and and go but i have a pretty good idea who you're talking about and this story is like the least surprising thing ever and i probably <laughs> I, I would say i have i have a few of my own stories involving i would bet the same person <laughs> i i i, I, I so think fun. i'd yeah, I, I think I know who you're talking about, but that that is uh, you know that is pretty funny. But yeah, it's there's a lot of um, uh, amongst the, the Browns media contingent. As I was saying earlier, we all get along, we all treat each other with respect. Um, uh, you know, it's it, it and the other thing too is is it's not as territorial as it used to be. Again, you know the code is if somebody is speaking to a player one on one, you do not walk up to them. Uh, you, you you let them. Uh, have their space and and do their thing. Um, But in your case, where it's going on for 20 minutes and you need to get your job done too and the locker room's about to close, I, uh, yeah, I'm totally team basking on that one.
1: Uh, I'll tease this for a future podcast, but, uh, and this is a baseball story, actually. I once saw two giants in the baseball writing field in Cleveland almost go, to toe in a heavyweight bout in the press box. I'll tell that story some other day. It was
2: I have a I have a dear friend and mentor that uh no longer works in the market but almost threw down. I mean in the elevator with a member of the opposing media and I had to play peacekeeper. <laughs> Let me tell wow. you. That oh uh, and and uh, this this shouting and screaming at each other lasted from the service level to the press box. It was one of the most epic, epic uh, events of my young I think career. There, there's a
1: there's a book to be written on media fights. I, I I think people would be so surprised. All right, if you enjoy what you're listening to, uh, why don't you remember to subscribe to the It's Always Game Day in Cleveland feed? Remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, rookie minicamp was over the weekend you tell us uh, or we'll tell you a little bit more about what we learned about the rookies over the weekend it's always game day in Cleveland glad you're listening to us Uh, and make sure you uh, subscribe to the feed because we love having you on board and uh, it's always game day in Cleveland feed so simple to get to remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and if you want to be a part of the show you can always find us at game day cle, he's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. Rookie minicamp, first chance to see guys like David Bell, um, uh, Jerome Ford. I mean, it was kind of a, it was an interesting first weekend for the rookies. Uh, Perry and Winfrey also not afraid to talk, and then uh, a couple of names popping out, especially a quarterback that ended up getting signed. What was your big takeaway from uh, rookie minicamp?
2: Well, my biggest takeaway was the one guy that I wanted to see, I didn't get to see. And that was Cade York. I I wanted to see him kick some field goals. Fun story. Um, They put in a new heating and drainage system. uh, And with that comes uh, brand new fields on top of it uh, out in Berea. So there wasn't anywhere for him to kick footballs because all the uprights were down. (laughs) They had to take all the goalposts down to put in the new fields. And then obviously, you know, the fields are still coming in. So, Cade went down to First Energy Stadium to get his work in and to kick, and uh, he also, uh, leading up to rookie minicamp, uh, visited with Phil Dawson uh, for about 40 minutes uh, on the phone to kind of get the, yeah, to to get the four one one on just, you know, what it's like to kick in Cleveland, kick at First Energy Stadium, what to look for, you know, what uh, made Phil so successful in his time here uh, and, and whatnot, so... Uh, yeah, the one guy that I really wanted to see, and I was planning on sending out video of every single kick because I think nothing gets Browns fans more excited on Twitter than either Deshaun Watson blocking me or me posting kicker video. Kicker video always a hit on Twitter. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I was unable. We were talking about you know you go in wanting to get something done. You just want to get. Uh, I actually left rookie minicamp feeling like I didn't accomplish what I set out to accomplish. And that was just a posted obnoxious amount of Cade York kicking video. So uh, maybe uh, OTAs uh, or the veteran minicamp in June, I hope to have a ridiculous amount of Cade York video content for you on Twitter.
1: Daryl, does that make you, like, need to go home and drink a beer? Does that make you uh, really feel like you've failed as a human being by not being able to get kicker video?
2: Well, I don't want to go as far as being a failure as a human being. That's a little harsh coming from you, Andy. But... um yeah, okay. I just want to make sure you're okay no, because Yeah, you know, uh, an alcoholic <laughs> beverage may have been consumed Friday night I, in the comfort of my own home. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I I think that that is, uh, you know, fair to say. And uh, I, I, I I just I kind of felt like I, my audience was let down. You know what I mean? Like they expect that of yeah. me and I was unable to deliver. But uh in, in all seriousness, um you know, <laughs> you can't read a lot into rookie uh, minicamp and, and I wrote about this a little bit uh, on Friday just because rookie minicamp is a little different under Kevin Stefanski than I'm used to first of all, there are only 27 guys there okay that that's number one all right, right. you had nine draft picks 13 undrafted free agents, three tryout players and then two members. Uh, of the active roster were participating. So it wasn't like there was 50 guys at this thing where you could have offense and go against defense and, and things like that. Um, so that w- that's a little different. I, I liken it to a f- watching a football camp, which I guess, well, it's called a mini camp, right? So, well, it looked like a mini camp in, 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 in that respect, right? A lot of one-on-one right. time, co- position coaches with players, a lot of teaching going on. And again, um, I've seen that over the years with coaching staffs, but I would say the last two years with Kevin Stefanski, his staff very super hands-on with these young players, which is kind of cool to see, to to watch these coaches legitimately teach the young kids, uh, these rookies, you know, uh, intricacies of the game. So that's kind of fun to watch. But other than that, there's not a lot of insight, not a lot of analysis, not a lot of breakdown uh, you can have when you're when it's that type uh, of practice. Uh, I, I'll say David Bell, quality first impression. Uh, I remember a year ago, you know, Anthony Schwartz uh, got off to a little bit of a rough start. Uh, a couple of footballs hit hit the ground in, in practice, which uh, you know it caught uh, so, you know caught our attention a little bit, considering he's a draft pick. Uh, David Bell, uh, hands like glue, caught everything thrown to him. So um, uh, it was good to see that. Uh, But yeah, just not a lot to, uh, I guess, break down or take away or or feel like that, uh, you know, uh, a certain player stood out just because, again, the environment was more about teaching uh, rather than uh, competition between, uh, you know, skill positions.
1: There are a couple of little storylines out of out of many camp. I know I had my eye on because he's a Heights guy because I've known the family forever. But uh, Malik Smith, um, brother of Tyreek Smith, who got drafted by Seattle, who was a you know uh, who started at Ohio State as a defensive end, and he uh, he, uh, he had his a tryout, but he never played football before. as a basketball player. He was at UNC Asheville, um, and his brother kept telling him. Tyreek would tell Malik, hey, you should play football, you should play football. Well, he didn't, and then um, he he went to Ohio State's workout, and then the Browns asked him to come to rookie minicamp. Um, Terry Pluto had a follow-up on him in the paper the other day just saying, you know, hey um, – he, actually, in his in his headline, it was pretty funny. It was like, how do you wear a helmet? Because Malik hadn't wore, wore a helmet since fifth grade. Right. So they asked him about, you know, what size pads do you wear, and he has, like, no idea. Um, I do think this is a great story if if one day, three years from now, this guy's playing in the NFL somewhere um, because someone wants to take a chance on him or he ends up, in, you know, in another league and learns how to play the game a little bit more or just tries to find something else. But, I mean, he's 6'4", 267, um, and, you know, he's just, he's just hoping for anything he can. I just think, like, that story to me is just kind of fun, and I, it's on a personal level. But the other story I thought was Felix Harper, the quarterback out of Alcorn State, um, that they brought in as an invitee, and, and now he's got a chance. Uh, they, they signed him after this weekend to let him go, and they were saying that his arm is phenomenal. And when you take Baker Mayfield out of the mix, I mean, if Harper's here and Dobbs is here – by the way, you need five quarterbacks for camp, don't you? Four or five quarterbacks for camp, no matter what?
2: Yeah, I mean – they, they Yeah, I mean, they, they also had uh, Jake Fromm over the weekend. Oh, that's right. They, yeah, I mean, they needed people to throw footballs, so – He'll, he's destined to potentially be a, a, a practice squad guy, um, but well, that's pretty
1: good because he didn't have a job two weeks ago, right? Yeah,
2: no, no, no. I, I I'm not trying yeah. to downplay it, but I mean, let's yeah. let's just kind of be realistic. Let's not get all excited that they you know found the next Tom Brady here. Uh, uh, Deshaun Watson's the number one. Uh, you know, Jacoby Brissett's number two. Josh Dobbs is number three. Uh, Harper is now uh, number four. And Baker Mayfield's number five. So that, that's the depth chart uh, at the position. You know, it was interesting. There's another there's another uh, basketball player turned tight end that's here too, Marcus uh, Santos Silva. Um, and he's, a, he's another uh, guy that hasn't played football in a long time, uh, you, know, uh, you know, played college basketball at Texas Tech. Is you know making the conversion another big dude hard to miss as well 6'6", uh, over two sixty, um, you know Kevin Stefanski talked about why uh, they like those type of guys and and how you know the basketball uh, rim protection and and you know going after uh, basketballs really applies and translates on the football field and whatnot and what they look for as far as guys that have that potential to convert. It's it's not something that's foreign. It is unique. Let's you know not downplay that aspect of it, but we have seen it, uh, you know, happen regularly, uh, uh, where uh, you you have basketball players convert to football. So he's another guy that uh, when we get to training camp, that I think Browns fans. We're going to want to really pay attention to. The Colts were looking at him. The Ravens uh, were, were going to look at him. He ended up signing with the Browns because well they, they offered him a contract uh, after his tryout, and he didn't want to risk going to these other tryouts and going through these mini camps or whatever and not getting any, not getting any offers. So um, Marcus Santos Silva, keep an eye on him in training camp too.
1: And then they also have Zaire Mitchell Payton. Also, on the, I mean, they still I – mean, I'm just looking at our lands. They still have seven tight ends listed. I, and I wonder how much Kevin's going to – I wonder what the tight end impact will be next year. And I wonder if Kevin rethinks what he has. Although I, I still think and, – and maybe we'll leave everybody with this on this thought. That David Njoku is probably your second most confident receiver outside of a running back, right, going into next season right now. I mean, if you had to throw the ball to a guy that was on the field, Amari Cooper would be your number one target. And then I just feel like the, the wide receiving core is just a mishmash. You know, it's Donovan Peoples-Jones, it's Anthony Schwartz. It's, you know, I, I I don't know if you're talking about a confidence level. And, and maybe let, let me circle back to the beginning of what we were talking about. Do you think they need to go out and get a free agent, wide receiver? I do, but I don't think they're going to.
2: Well, that's the thing. Do I think they need to? Sure. Are they going to? No. They've got uh, you got Cooper, four draft picks plus Jakim Grant. Uh, quick math. I believe that adds up to six, and that's usually how many receivers they keep at the position. And then let's not forget the uh, you know, the, the Swiss Army knife. There is he a running back? Is he a receiver? Demetric Felton, their sixth round pick from a year ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're 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 set at the position. Now it's going to be a, a matter of them you know, figuring out you know, who can do what, who fits into what role, obviously outside of Amari Cooper. Um, and I, I really feel like that they have told us how they feel about Anthony Schwartz and Donovan Peoples-Jones. I, I think we are more concerned about that position group, Andy, than the Browns are. I, I, I honestly believe that because I think if Andrew Barry felt like they absolutely had to have a veteran to add to this group, he'd go out and do it, but he's not doing that. So uh, I just, I think, and I, I understand the conversation, but I'm just also trying to keep it real for people. Like they're telling you how they feel about their receiver group. You know, Amari's the number one. They drafted David Bell in the third round. He, I think, by the end of the season, could ultimately end up being the the number two receiver. They love Anthony Schwartz. They love DPJ. Uh, Michael Woods is going to get a crack at this thing. Uh, Maybe Jakeem Grant, who's primarily a returner, but maybe he gets a a look on offense as well a little bit. Obviously, they don't want to wear him out, but... No. Maybe he gets a little bit. So the numbers, like the numbers, just don't add up for them to be bringing in another veteran. And again, going back to the Jarvis Landry conversation that we had earlier in this podcast, like the writing was on the wall. Sometimes you just have to believe what they're trying to tell you. And so when it comes to the receiver position, I think they feel a lot better about it than we do. And obviously. <laughs> Andrew Berry has been doing this a little longer than we have. Uh, you know, Kevin Stefanski has the job for a reason. So just I think sometimes you just have to trust in their evaluation. Now, if we go through the season and they aren't getting the production that they need you know, at that position, then guess what we're going to be talking about all through the season and all through next offseason? They should have gone yep. out and brought in another veteran. But right now, with the investment in draft picks that they have, four guys in three years – plus Amari Cooper, plus Jakeem Grant, plus Demetrik Felton. Uh, Andrew Berry's sitting there thinking, I'm good. We, we've, we've got the guys. This is who we're going to go with. Let's give these young kids an opportunity to make an impact. And we got one guy that we're paying them him a ton of money. Keep in mind, they're paying Amari Cooper $6 million more than they paid Odell Beckham Jr., or that they paid Jarvis Landry, because Jarvis and Odell were in that $14 million and change range uh, from a salary standpoint. So between them, that's $28 million. Um, that's a lot of money for two players. So now they're paying Amari the 20 okay? and you've got DPJ, Schwartzy, David Bell, Michael Woods on these rookie-level contracts as third, sixth-round picks, that are very, very team friendly. So, yeah, sometimes you just have to believe the Browns when they're trying to tell you something. And in the case of the receivers, Andrew Berry's been telling us for weeks now, we're good.
1: I hear you, and I think you're right. And it's just I we sit here and talk about it for four hours a day how we think they're gonna, or what wide receiver we'd like to see them bring in. I just don't see it happen. Daryl, as always, it's been a blast. Uh, let folks know, we normally drop on Mondays and Thursdays, but if something happens, you know we'll do an instant podcast right away, especially when there's uh, major breaking news. We will have one there for you. And, um, you know, sometimes things change, like last week with um, the schedule game, you know, we pushed over to Friday. So hang tight, and the easiest way to stay on board is to let the podcast come to you. And how do you do that? You just subscribe. To It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. For Daryl Ryder, Meredith Kane, our awesome producer, I'm Andy Baskin. Again, remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Always Game Day in Cleveland.